rest of you. You ready for the word? Thank y'all for being so gracious as a church. Nobody threw anything at me just then. That's so nice. I've had people throw fruit before. Literally bananas landing on stage at me when I was in the middle of something. I don't mind fruit. It's the canned fruit that I can't handle. Like, don't be throwing any canned. Well, we are in the third message of a series that was only supposed to last for two Sundays. Can you figure that one out? Can you do the math on that one? We're now in the third message of a series that we started a couple of weeks ago, and it was only going to be a two-part series, but I've really felt the Holy Spirit press in, and He's wanting us to get some more stuff out of this. Uh, and so I want to I I dive in today. We're, we're up in the middle of a series called What in the World? I want you to look at your neighbor and say it to them like you would text it to them, okay? Like, you know, when that thing happens, that person does what they do. Yeah, just, just look at them and just on the count of three, say it like you would text it. One, two, three. Come on, you know, some of y'all send that in like four different texts. What in the world? With about five question marks at the end, right? The premise, the, I didn't say write a paragraph, y'all, just a text. That's all it was, okay? The premise of this series has been the fact that our world is in a state of upheaval. And we want to make some sense of the mess. What in the world is going on? And something that we've said since the very first, uh, the very, one of the first things I said in this series is if you want to know what's going on in the world, you turn to the Word. If I want to know what is going on in the world, open this book and you're going to find that God has been speaking some things. You're going to find that He prophesied all of these things that were going to happen. Now, last Sunday, uh, I touched on a few things that honestly were not even in my notes. Uh, I touched on them. And during my sermon prep time and my, my prayer time this week, I really felt the Holy Spirit impressing me to go back to some of those things and drill down a little bit. So for some of you that were here last week, some of this may feel like a review, all right? Don't tune me out like I already took the notes down. I got it. I ain't figuring out. Don't doze off, okay? Because there's going to be some things that we're going to share in those points that are some nuggets that we didn't get to last week, some revelations. And I can tell you at 9 a.m. today, there was a fresh move of God in this place where people's eyes were open. So I want you to prepare your heart. Get your notes ready. Come on, get on the edge of your seat. Open up your heart. Take a deep breath. Come on. Take a deep breath. You ready? Come on. All right. Let's go. Let's, let's start. Let's go back to Matthew 24 and verse number 3. This was our text. And later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Sign. Sign. Everybody say sign. That's a key word because remember what we learned the last couple of weeks is that to the unbeliever, it's terror and tribulation and turmoil and fear and stress, right? But to the believer, it's a sign. And then he lists these signs. Now, Matthew in Matthew 24 
listed, but also Luke listed in Luke 21. So you can write those two down. And it's like you're standing, Matthew's over here, Luke is over here. They're hearing the same conversation and they're writing it. They're, this thing is going on and this, the Holy Spirit is doing it. And then as they begin to write it, they're recalling it by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so between the two, here is what you find. Now I want you to tell me, just a not head nod or uh-huh or oh me, oh dear Lord, if any of these are going on right now, wars and threats of wars, nation going to war against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Now remember, kingdom is any ideology or theology, all right? It's not necessarily a nation. It can be a religious party. It can be a political party, right? It can be an activist. It's this thing. Would you say that there's kingdoms against kingdoms right now, even in our own country? Famines, plagues, earthquakes in many parts of the world. Terrifying things, great and miraculous signs from heaven, strange signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, like eclipse, and then roaring seas and strange tides. Would you say any of this is going on right now? And then we learn what our response should be. It's a three-part response. Jesus said, when you begin to see these signs, look up, because your redemption is coming near. So number one, what's the first thing? When you hear of an earthquake, when you hear of a hurricane, yes, we pray for them. Yes, we send money and we send send supplies. But at the same time, we're looking up because that means our redemption is getting ready to come. How many are ready for him to come take us home? Remember, if you can't celebrate that, you need to fall in love with him in heaven more than you ever have before. That's, That's when you examine your heart right there, okay? Look up. The second thing we said is look in. What is your heart right? Are you ready? Are you ready to make heaven your home? And number three, look around. Are there people around you that you can serve and help and minister to? Man, y'all been, y'all been listening. I like that. Then Jesus closes Matthew 24, 8 with the verse that we keyed in on last week. Verse 20, Matthew 24, 8. But all this is only... The first of, say these two words with me, birth pains. Say it loud, birth pains with more to come. Now, what's ironic, as we read last week, is those same phrase, birth pains, is also found in Romans chapter 8. How many read Romans 8 this week? Raise your hand. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. More than the 9 a.m. service. So give yourself a hand. That's awesome. Come on, y'all. I ask you to read Romans chapter 8. Uh, Michael Marinick, uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, M- Michael was telling me about a theologian. I've heard this from other theologians as well that say, if you want to see the spine of the Bible, turn to Romans. The backbone of the Bible is found in Romans. Because it takes the old and the new and it brings it together. And then theologians say, if you want to find the backbone of Romans, go to Romans chapter 8. Every believer should be able to read and master Romans chapter 8. And then go to Romans chapter 12, okay? So if you want to, some of y'all right now do not read the Bible and here's what you say. I just don't know where to start. I just told you where to start. 
Romans chapter 8, okay? Read that. Uh, matter of fact, memorize it. Get it in your heart. Let it be a part of you, okay? Romans chapter 8. So next week, we're going to ever have everybody quote it, okay? <laughs> All right, you know what? I gave you homework, and you did not do it, and so you're going to be punished today. All right, so Romans chapter 8 and verse 15, bring it up on the screens. And this section right here, you're going to read it, all right? Out loud, on the count of three, it's going to be on the screens. I want you to read me Romans chapter 8, 15 through 22. Here we go, go. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you... Come on, y'all. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Good job. Awesome. Come on, give them a hand. Wasn't that good? Now, some of y'all were reading while they were reading. It was not your turn, okay? But now it's your turn. All right, now we're going to start with you. Verse 18, I want you to read it on the count of three. One, two, three. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Come on, read it like you mean it. For the creation was subjected to frustration. What happened? You ready? Go. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected in hope. Everybody say those two words. In hope. Come on, say it like a Pentecostal. Say, in hope. In hope what? In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Now give them a hand. It ain't as easy as y'all thought it was, is it? Everybody say childbirth. Childbirth. Pains. Pains. The exact same thing. Jesus says this is a sign. And Paul says this is what's been going on with the earth. It's these childbirth, these pains, this, this, this groaning. And here's some things that we learned last week. First thing we learned. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Remember what we said? Our present cannot compare to our future. So I don't care what your story is. I do care. But it doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what your glory is. And it doesn't matter what your gory is. It does not compare to what God has prepared for you. How many have been through some mess with a whole bunch of S's in your life? Raise your hand. Come on. You been there? No matter how bad it was, it doesn't compare to the glory that God has prepared for you. How many have had the highest highs? Raise your hand. Come on. It's been victorious. Does not even compare to what he has prepared for his children. 
For creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. This is the next thing we learn. All of creation is waiting on us. It is God's plan to reveal His children to the world. Do you understand that? He did not just come down, live a life, die on a cross, and just go back to heaven. He came so that He could get us ready so that we could be revealed to the world. I mean, we just had homecoming last, last night, and, and, uh, and I just parents just taking pictures, click, 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 posting it just as quick as you can. Just kids, kids, everywhere. you know why? We're proud of our kids. Why would it be any different with him who didn't just, who didn't just see us born and clothe us, but brought us back to life? When we were not a people and we were sinners and beat up and beat down and he sanctified us. Don't you know that he wants to roll back the curtain and show all of the earth, look at my kids. He's ready for it. And the Bible says the earth waits in eager expectation. I love that, eager. Like, ah, come on, come on. You've heard us talk about it. We have two dogs. We have a Boston Terrier named Hendrix, and we have a white uh, French Bulldog named Hank, okay? And, and Hank cannot breathe. Just I shoved up. <laughs> Hank, whenever you walk out the door, you walk out the door, you close the door. If you turn around, he's already at the window waiting for you to come back. And our window's kind of high, so he has to tiptoe, and he can't breathe. And when you're inside, you hear him, like... <laughs> and the same thing happens when he hears the car pull up. What is he? Right at that door. Oh, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. You think we had left that, that scope for about 15 days, we come back. What is that? Eager expectation. Eager. That's what the earth is doing. For the revelation of the sons of God. It's this expectation. Come on. Come on. I want you to be revealed. You know why? Now I'm going to skip ahead. I'm going to hit this next week or maybe the next week. Or maybe we'll end the series in July. I don't know when it's going to be. But we're going to hit this. Why is the world, why is the earth so expectant for us to be revealed? You want to know why? Because the earth remembers how peaceful the earth was. When Adam knew who he was. Remember what the Bible says about the earth? There was no rain. It was a mist. There were no thorns, no thistles, no cancer, no halitosis, no divorce. No acne. No bills. Everything was peaceful. And that is why the earth goes earthquake. Hurricane. The earth goes, come on, child of God. Realize who you are. Step into who you are. Be who God created you to be. Now, I'm going to teach on that in a few weeks. I'm going to need you to amen, okay, more than you did just then when we get to that. Everybody say eager expectation. But why, why are we not being revealed? This is where we started leaving off last week. Why haven't we been revealed? Number one, we don't know who we are. We do not know who we are. Now I want to tell you, who you are is more important than what you do. You know what we do, what we say, 
Right when you meet someone, hey, good to see you. Where are you from? I live in Franklin, man. What do you do? Right? What's the first thing? What do you do? We all talk about what we do. God doesn't talk about that. Remember, check this out. Jeremiah 1 and 5. Y'all know the scripture. You've, you've quoted it before. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Don't you love that? Before he even started handcrafting you, he knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So before you were ever formed in your mama's belly, he had already known you and appointed you. You notice what you don't hear here in this scripture? He didn't say, I appointed you to prophesy. He doesn't appoint you to do. He appoints you to be. Huge difference. As we said last week, he did not create us to be human doings. He created us to be human beings. So before you ever figure out what you're supposed to do, you need to figure out who you are. But now let's take it a step further. We don't just need to know who we are. We need to know who we are in Christ. Because I'm going to tell you, once you get into Him, you change. How many of you have changed since you've become a follower and a believer of Jesus Christ? If you can't raise your hand, then we got to do a whole other series on just that. At least something, okay? At least your hair color. Come on, something. A little bit of change somewhere. I tell folks all the time that people that took personality tests before they were saved, I'm like, after you're saved, you take another one. If you take a spiritual gifts test, as you begin to grow and you walk with the Lord, your personality should be changing a little bit, or maybe a lot for some of you, okay? It needs to be changing. Why? Because you're becoming more like Him the more you get into Him. There is a big difference in having Christ in you and you being in Christ. Eighty-seven times in the New Testament, the Bible says... In Christ. I think it's pretty important. And yet, what I see is most believers are just happy having Christ in them. I've accepted Christ into my heart. He lives in me. But I'm going to tell you what. You want to start moving in maturity and abundance and grace and glory. Don't be satisfied with just having Him in you. Get into Him. How do I get into Him? Get into His Word. How do I get into him? Get into his body. Join a gathering. How do I get into him? More of his spirit in your life. Kristen calls it the Holy Spirit bubble. Where you're walking around and you're taking on and you begin to watch your identity disappear and his identity begin to grow in your life. If anyone is in Christ, they are a... See what I'm talking about? So you got him in you, awesome. Now let's talk about how do we get into him. And then you watch things begin to change and morph. Who am I in Christ? Because if you don't know who you are in him, you're not going to know what you can do for him. And you're not going to know what you can do through him. How many believe God's got great things for your life? but you don't quite know what they are. That's because you don't know who you are in Him. Because once you understand who you are in Him, then you begin to see what He can do through you. And you can see what you can do through Him.
Look at this, what Philippians 4.13. I can do some things, a few things, a smattering of stuff. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Look at this, what Jesus said, John 14 and 12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Now, I talk to some people that feel like that's blasphemy. For me to say, he has called you to do greater things than he did. I don't know about that. That's Jesus, man. How many of you want your kids to live better than you and greater than you? Raise your hand then why would it be any different with him? Greater things than this shall you do. Why? Read that last line. Bring it back up for me, sweetheart. Bring it back up. Why? Even greater, you will do even greater things than these. Why? Now, where does that come in? I've read the scripture for years and never keyed in on that. That is important. You're going to do greater things than I do because I'm going to my Father. Now look what the Scripture says. Where is it? Let me find this. Look at this. Romans chapter 8. I told you all you should be in Romans 8. And 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus says, you're going to do greater things than I'm doing because I'm going to the right end of my Father and I'm going to be whispering in His ear, don't forget about them. Don't forget about them. And then when the accuser of the brethren, the Bible calls Satan, that's what he calls him, the accuser. When he begins to accuse you and when he begins to tell God, how dare you bless them? How dare you forget? Do you know what they've done? You ever read the book of Job? You ever read that? The Bible says Satan comes into God's presence and he's like, God's like, what you doing, Satan? Well, I'm just roaming the earth. And, of course, God knows his own word. First Peter says that Satan roams the earth like a lion seeking whom he may devour. And God's like, what you doing? Just roaming the earth looking for somebody to eat. And God says, have you considered Job? He's, he's quite delectable. Right? And in my mind, I'm like, wait, no, 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 no. Consider somebody else. I'll tell you what that does for me. That shows me hey, that God put in Job. And so what happens, and we could do that, it would be a whole sermon in itself. But what happens is the enemy accuses all the time. They're not good enough. They're not, they're not, no, no, no. And yet our intercessor. Jesus Christ says, I shed my blood so they could be good enough. Come on, somebody. I gave my life so they could live abundant life. And so because of that, you and I are supposed to do greater things than he did. Because we got him up there. Come on, let's go. We can do this. And, don't, and forget about the mighty cloud of witnesses. Abraham and David and Rachel and Rebecca that are saying, come on, baby, you can do this. And then we read last week, on top of that, Romans 8 says, we have the Holy Spirit that is in us that is telling us you are a child of God. Y'all, how can you live a miserable life with all of that support? You know how? You got to want to. You do not want to live an abundant life. That's why you're not living an abundant life. 
You're more satisfied with your sin and your addiction and your vices than you are stepping into everything God has for you. You've got the, the body, you've got the Son saying, let's go. You've got the Holy Spirit, let's go. You've got all this crowd of witnesses, let's go. So let's go. I'm exhausted. Listen, I don't want you to hear me as sounding mean. Hear me as a pastor. Come on, he wants more for us than what we're living. So we got to know who we are. So who are we? Remember we talked about this last week? We just read it in Romans. Number one, we're children of God. Heirs. Co-heirs. You'll have to, those of you who are not here, you'll have to listen to it. We talked about how you move from being a slave... Once you're saved to being a servant, and this is where most people live their life right here, in the servant mentality. They know they're not going to die if they don't do right, right? We know that. But we don't think we're going to be blessed if we mess up. And yet he said, I don't call you servants, I call you friends. How many know there's a big difference in a friend and a servant? But the Bible says he didn't just call us friends, he calls us sons, right? Amen? How many know there's a difference in a friend and a son? We have a 19-year-old and a 16-year-old. To this day, that Chris and I will be laying in the bed, and one of them could very well come and crawl in the bed with us. I mean, just snuggle up right next to us. Now, see, Logan is a friend of mine. Y'all see? Logan is my friend. Logan has been to my house several times. Logan, you are not welcome to crawl up into the bed between. Right? You're just not. How many know the difference right there, Right? Big difference. I am a friend of God. Good. I am a child of God. See the difference in authority and action? We're not talking about salvation. This is salvation. Done. And you can live your life as a servant. Just barely getting by. Or you can live your life as a friend or a child or an heir or a joint heir. Now look here. How many of you are a child of someone but you don't know if you're in the will or not? You could have started out in the wheel, but you did something dumb, and you don't know if you're in the wheel or not. That ain't how it works. He says, if you are a child, then you are an heir, and if you are an heir, you are a joint heir, which means everything Jesus has access to, I have access to. Come on, Bryce. Do you believe it? Everything, eternal life, mine. Abundant life, mine. Gifts of the Spirit, mine. Fruit of the Spirit, mine. Come on. I'm telling you, you've got to want to be miserable to be miserable being a Christian. You've got to work at it. Oh, I've got to hurry. So, first of all, we don't know who we are in Him. And Daphne can tell you, I've been preaching this for 20 years, haven't I, Daphne? She's heard most of this. <laughs> it's a life message. But here's what I found. When we're tired of saying it, you're just getting it. Parents, let me just tell you that. When you're tired of saying it, they still ain't got it. When we're tired of saying it, we have to keep saying it and keep saying it. How many of you are going to need this tomorrow? 
How many of you need this like right now? You're already planning ahead. I need it on Sunday nights. That's when I need it. I need to be reminded. You're a child of God, boy. You're a child of God. First of all, we need to know why, why, why have we been revealed? We don't know who we are. And secondly, we need to grow up. We need to grow up. God will not roll back the curtains and reveal to the world spoiled brats. And you're not, he's not going to give you access to all of your inheritance until you're mature enough to handle it. I just don't know why I can't get... That's why right there. What you just did. I want my stuff. You ain't getting it. Not getting it because he knows it will destroy you until you're ready for it. But when you grow up, Remember we said last week, immaturity inhibits your inheritance. Remember that? But when you grow up, I'm going to give it. Immaturity, for those of you that are watching, immaturity inhibits inheritance. Grow up. Look at your neighbor and say, grow up. Now look, some of you spouses, that was a little mean the way you said it. Two more points. Come on, stay with me. For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Write this down. Frustration is part of the plan. It's just part of it. We hate it. (laughs) How many of you hate wildernesses? Dry times, deserts, trials, valleys. For some reason, God always picks, that's the God, the GPS God positioning system. That's what he does. I know y'all could go right here, but we're going to reroute y'all through 40 days of a wilderness. Even Jesus had to do it. Why do we think we're going to get out of it? But here's what I want to share with you, and this is what we'll close on. Verse 20, we read, For creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. Remember those two words I had you yell out loud? Yell out loud again on the count of three. One, two, three. In hope. Everybody say in hope. That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. Write this down. Frustration is part of the plan, but frustration also has a purpose. I want to tell somebody this. God does not frustrate us for fun. He puts you into a season of frustration because he has hope. And his hope is that his purpose will be fulfilled in your life. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, a scripture that I've preached for years and years but misquoted. Bring that up. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1. To everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under heaven. I used to quote this, to everything there is a season and a purpose for every time under heaven. It doesn't say that. It says there is a time for every purpose. In other words, there is a purpose that is so important in your life that God will devote an entire season to it. And that season may be a couple of weeks. It may be 21 years. And you're down here going, 21 years? Oh, my God, what have I done? And God, being eternal as he is, is at the beginning and the ending. He's like, what? That's a blip, baby. That's just a blip. 
And if it takes that long for the purpose to be fulfilled in your life, then I'm willing to devote that much time to it. And sometimes we have to stay in that season longer than we were supposed to because we keep failing the test. How many know you don't go to the next grade if you don't pass the grade before? And sometimes you just stay. Why did they wander for 40 years in the wilderness? They kept failing the test. The purpose wasn't fulfilled in their life. So look, don't get mad at the frustration. Because you're not going to know the purpose until the end of it. Right? That's when you get to the end of it. Oh, that's what was going on. But in the middle of it, you don't know the purpose. That's why you just have to trust the process. If you don't know the purpose, trust the process. Romans 8. <laughs> Isn't that cool? Romans 8 and 28. <laughs> Look at this. We know that all things, what are the things that we can do through Him? All, all things, greater things. We know that all things work together for the good. Come on, yeah. yeah. To those who love God, how many love the Lord? Yeah. To those who are called, how many are called? Yeah. Uh-oh, and then there comes this part. According to His purpose. I talked to five people this morning that said they have misquoted the scripture for years, never understanding that last phrase. Oh, this is going to work for my good. Every bit of it going to work for my good. Why? Because he loves me. Because I love him. Because I'm called. Yeah, I know. But don't forget that last phrase right there. According to his purpose. God has a purpose for your life. I know you think you know what it is. I know you think you know your calling, and I know you think you know what you're supposed to do. But I would encourage you to submit to the frustrating times and watch His purposes be revealed in your life. Let me pray for you today. Come on, close your eyes.